Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. Amen. It's a good prayer, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Elijah. So let's do a little rehash. If you were not here last week, okay. Sometimes, okay, the Bible is 66 books, 66 books, a collection of books, poetry, poems over literally hundreds, uh, if not thousands of years. It is this long, stretching book. So I understand, especially like being a new Christian or if you've never even touched the Bible, these stories can seem super intimidating. Do not let them be. The story of Elijah is about a prophet and a really incredible prophet in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, and Tom did a great job of unpacking this last week, was the big old first part of the Bible. It's like pre-Jesus. It's like the warm-up to Jesus. Uh, And it lays out God's story of humanity, God uh, specifically mostly dealing with the Jewish people and Israel. And it's this beautiful story, powerful story, but it can get a little complicated, right? And what Tom did a great job, which I am not going to be able to do, and I'm so happy he had to do, Tom pretty much fast-forwarded through, like, Genesis to Kings, which was like 800 years of Hebrew history, and did a great job of it. So I just want you to understand this. Elijah was a prophet in a time when they really needed someone who spoke for God. Elijah was a prophet in a time when no one was speaking for God. Uh, the king at the time, King Ahab, uh, they, the Bible says this, and man, I don't know a worse way you could be remembered, but he's like the most wicked kings of a string of like 18 consecutive wicked kings. So like, he's the best at being evil. That is not how you want to be remembered in the Bible. So Elijah is getting raised up, but before Elijah can face King Ahab, uh, King Ahab, he has to uh, be prepared. He has to go to a quiet place. And uh, what Tom did a great job of explaining was he was literally uh, fed in this valley by, uh, by birds. He was sustained by birds. God was preparing him, but it was a quiet place. And then he goes and uh, spends some time. God introduces him to this widow who has a, a son. And still God is preparing him, preparing Elijah the prophet. And then it's time to start. And he does this incredible miracle, right, last week where literally her son dies. And Elijah prays and he gets raised from the dead. That is Crazy. That is nuts. Like, if I'm being honest, right? That's like, a, I see someone raised from the dead. I don't know if I'm going to scream or cry or run for my life, right? Like, that is incredible stuff. But God is in the business of doing incredible stuff. So, Elijah is getting prepared. And we've all, I think we've all been in a place where God had us in a quieter time, a time where God was just sustaining us and building us back up. And Elijah was in that place. But now is time to get it going. Now it's time for Elijah to face this wicked King Ahab. Uh, King Ahab was also uh, married to uh, Jezebel. It's probably a term you've heard often in a derogatory way, but uh, she was a very, very wicked queen. So it was like this power couple. It was like Kim and Kanye. No, ah, oh, no, no, I love, I love, that's a joke. I love Kanye. I know I don't get in trouble for that, but I was, that was a really bad joke, as if Kanye is going to see this. Ah, uh, <laughs> Clearly not. I don't think he's watching. Uh, So the question this week, what we're going to be talking about this week is a rough question, guys. i got to be real with you. And it's a question I've been struggling with too. And it's what God do you serve? What God do you serve? We don't really live in a time now, see, where we worship like weird false gods, right? Like during the time of Elijah, King Ahab, the greatest sin they said he uh, 
in the Bible that he committed was that he led the nation astray, the nation of Israel, and led them to many false gods. And the big one was this god named Baal. Um, Baal was a fire god. He was equivalent of a sun god. And he took the Hebrew people who knew the one true god, Jehovah Yahweh, uh, the god that we worship, and said, no, I got a better god for you. This is the sun god. Because you got to remember, during that time, a really important thing was crops, right? Having crops was equivalent to having a lot of money. So if you worship a sun god who can directly bless you with sun and other things that a sun god would do, that just seems way more convenient. Now, as I was thinking this week, I don't think many people, I'm going to have to argue against worshiping Baal, the sun god. I don't think anyone's going home and be like, hail Baal. No, it's not really happening, right? I hope not. Um, but this is an interesting question comes up. What god do you serve? Because the gods in the current American culture, there's not many sun gods. But here's one god I know we all struggle with worshiping and putting most important in our life. Money? Huh? Yeah, I was just saying, right? Financial security? Maybe it's just our selfishness. Maybe it's just putting us before God. Maybe we worship our houses. Maybe like getting the best looking house, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. Maybe that's the most important thing. Because in the simplest way to understand what is a God and what God do you serve is that a God, what we worship is the most important thing in our lives. That's it. Um, a writer who I, I came to a couple years ago when I was going back to school, oh, I love David Foster Wallace. Um, he was a great writer. He has this great quote. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Oh, I thought that was so good because we all worship something. Maybe you worship your looks. Right? Maybe you worship uh, how you look and you, you're, you're, you're obsessed with maintaining that and, you know, pricking every hair and, uh, and making sure you're tan and making sure this and that. Like me? No. Uh, clearly, this is a lot of work to maintain. Not. Um, maybe you worship. Maybe you worship. This is a hard one. This is a hard one for me, too. Because this is not, like, when I'm talking about these things, money, your house, it's not, these aren't inherently bad. They're not. It's about proper perspective of who gave us those things and who we should be most grateful to and who we should worship. Maybe the thing we worship before God is our family. That's a tough one. I love my family. I love my baby girl. You get between me and her and I'm a softie, but oh boy, that ain't going to work out good for you. But am I first worshiping and thanking the God who blessed me with her or is that out of whack, right? And it's, guys, this is hard stuff. And I, I, I was wrestling with this all week. Um, so I was a little apprehensive about it because it's not the easiest of things. So again, I don't think I really have to argue once against the worship of the God of Baal. But during, as we lay out this story of Elijah uh, facing Ahab and these false gods, I want you to just keep these things in mind. Um, so let's jump into scripture. Let's go right into it. So in 1 Kings, what's happened here is now Elijah's ready and he's about to face uh, King Ahab. And this is what he said. When Ahab saw him, this is how Ahab replies. Because remember, there was famine at the time, and Ahab blamed Elijah for this famine. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And this is Elijah's like, oh, I'm done with you, dude. I'm not taking this. And this is how Elijah replies. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. I don't know much about numbers, but uh, roughly 800 something versus one, that is scary. Also, 
that is a really long table. That's such a bad joke. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, 400 people at your table. You guys got that weird leaf thing you put in the middle of the table? You need like 45 leaves to get, all right, I got 400 people coming over. Have to fluff all the pillows. Um, Elijah comes before King Ahab with zero fear, at least showing it. So not afraid. It wasn't like me and you, Ahab, one-on-one. No. He said, get them all. Get all these false prophets. Get all these people who worship these false gods and meet me at Mount Carmel. He calls them out. That takes some boldness, right? And uh, it leads to this. Continuing uh, 1 Kings 18 into 20 and 21. Um, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Uh, Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, this is powerful. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. How long will you waver? How long will I waver? How long do we treat God as if he's just another thing on the list? As if he's just another uh, entity that we have to be concerned about or worry about. How long will you waver? It's a question that when I read that, I was like, ooh. You know when you read the Bible and it just kind of stings you with that conviction where it's like, and waver just means going back and forth, being wishy-washy. And what Elijah's not having it. He's pretty much saying this. If you want to worship Baal, do it. Go. Go all in with that and see where that leads you. But you cannot worship Yahweh. You cannot worship the one real true God and worship Baal. You have to make a choice. That is really, really confronting to me. Because again, when we think in the current context, when I read this, I think, Domingo, how often are you going to put your own comfort in front of me? How often are you going to put your own ideas and opinions in front of me? How often are you going to put other people think of you in front of me? How long will you waver? But I think it's a healthy question to ask ourselves, right? Because this is not, let me get this before we even get to any more of this. There is no guilt in Christ Jesus, all right? Conviction is godly. Conviction just means it's something that encourages you to be better. Guilt, which a lot of preachers will do, thank God, none here were blessed with incredible pastoral staff. They want to lay you with guilt and be burdened. Never has a life been changed by guilt and shame. But let me tell you what does change lives. Jesus, right? So I just want to, yeah, right. I, I just had to get that out of the way because I've, I've heard so many terrible messages and be like, yo, shut up. No, but I never said it though. But some pastors just want to make you feel bad and we're not, thank God we go to church. That's not the case. Um, so how long will you waver? God is an all-in God. And God is not an option. No, no. He is the only option. That's it. He is it. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the source of everything in this life that we get good. Everything good comes from the Father of lights from above. And when we remember that, again, when I was talking about family and houses and money and these things, these things are not evil. These are good things. But are you worshiping the gift or the gift giver? Right? And I, I say it from a place of I struggle with this. And it's a constant reminder where it's like, every time I see my baby daughter smile, thank you, Jesus. Every time that something goes my way and God opens a door, thank you, Jesus. Every time I get to embrace my beautiful wife and love on my incredible family, thank you, God. It's remembering where these things come from, the source of them. And that is the thing that we worship. Um, so I'm going to read a verse. And uh, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. So let's read it. In Deuteronomy 6.5, it's a great verse. Love your Lord your God with half of your heart, 
a part of your soul and a little bit of your strength? <laughs> that sound right? That don't sound right. Oh, Deuteronomy. That's, a, that's, a, that's an extra book in the Bible. <laughs> no. <laughs> Super Deuteronomy. That's a, do me a favor. Don't look up Deuteronomy, all right? Deuteronomy is not going to be there. <laughs> Super Deuteronomy. It's actually Deuteronomy, so just pretend there's a T in front of that P, please. That totally killed my joke. Thanks, Tom. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Roger is at home right now. "Ah, uh, I'm up here. Sorry. Uh, Love your Lord. This don't sound right to me. This sound right to you? Love your Lord, your God, with half, with, well, there we go. I got the right one. Love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Not half, not a portion, because listen to this, and this is what kept hitting me. If the God of the universe, the God who can sneeze out stars, the God who thinks of things and get created, the God who created our eyeballs, you know how complex an eyeball is? It's nuts. I don't know. That's why I'm saying it. This God is all in for you. So why would we not be all in for him? If the God of the angel army is the God of all things is all in for you and for me, then how dare we not give him everything back? That's like the least we could give. And that's something that when I face that and I remember that, I'm like, why wouldn't I worship you, Lord? Why wouldn't I worship you with all my heart, with all my soul, and all your strength? Because guess what? Who created those things? (laughs) Who even gave you the ability to worship? Our Father in heaven, who loves us and is so patient with us. So now, let's bounce back. So Elijah, it's about to happen. This showdown, this incredible showdown. Now, I don't know how many people in church saw like Endgame, Avengers. Yeah, like we got some Endgame people. Yeah, some. Um, we have one person. One person, all right. That movie made $8 trillion. I know it's not just one person who saw Endgame in here. Anyway, it's the Marvel movie. It's the big ending of their whatever. This confrontation right now is like epic levels of like Marvel stuff right now. Because one prophet named Elijah, the prophet of, uh, who follows Yahweh, the true God, is facing these false prophets of Baal. So let's go into First, uh, first Kings, we're going back into 18, verse 24. And this is Elijah saying this to all. Imagine facing this, facing Hundreds of prophets who want this man dead. Because remember, Elijah was wanted dead on sight. King Ahab put pretty much a hit out on his head and said, if you find the dude that stopped it from raining, you kill him because that will fix everything. And now Elijah, who's been prepared by the Lord, is facing in this incredible scene on Mount Carmel hundreds of false prophets who want him dead. And this is what he says, the challenge. Then you call in the name of your God, talking to the prophets of Baal. And I will call in the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he is God. Woo. Then all the people said, what you say is good? Word, let's do it. All right, cool. Um, what, all right, let's notice this. What does he say? How is their God or his God going to answer this call by? What is Baal the God of? So, yo, Elijah is pretty much saying like, We're going to play a game, a one-on-one. I'm going to go to your court. We'll play with your ball. You can have 800 players on your team. I'm going to give you every advantage, you false prophets. I'm going to give you no excuse once this moment is over to not worship the one true God. I am going to leave Mount Karma, and you're going to see. So 
Um, I feel like as like kids, everyone has a story with fire. <laughs> like, it sounds weird, but yeah. I remember when I was growing up, I had one friend, and he was like that weird kid who always wanted, like, had a lighter and like, wanted to light things on fire. I was like, no, chill, dude. You could never come over to my house. Um, so uh, I, I was raised uh, Catholic, and I'm very grateful for that upbringing. So one of the things you have to do uh, uh, to become a member of the Catholic Church, you have your communion. Uh, uh, you have your Holy Communion. It's like a really big deal. And uh, I was probably like, I don't know, eight or nine at the time. Um, and we're, we're Puerto Rican. So like the, the proper way you celebrate as a Puerto Rican with anything is a good old-fashioned pig roast. That just is how it works. Yeah. So, so my parents are still, yeah, see, a Puerto Rican Boricua. Uh, <laughs> I'm the fakest Puerto Rican. I need to stop. <laughs> don't ask me to speak Spanish. Uh, <laughs> So we're gonna, it's a big celebration. My parents are getting ready. So young little Domingo, my little chubby self, when I had hair, I had spiky gelled hair, because that's what you did in the 90s. Um, and I had a full suit on, like beautiful suit. But like, oh, I was getting a little hungry. So we're getting ready in the morning to go off to church. I'm gonna have my communion. And I really just want a roasted marshmallow. I really wanted one, because you know, I'm a little chubby and want a marshmallow, boy. So I said, Mom, I want a marshmallow. I'm decked out in my whole outfit. Like, I'm ready to go. I'm looking like I should be a bishop or something. Like, I, I was looking good. And I goes, oh, yeah, go ahead. And my dad's in the back getting the coals ready. Because pig roasting's a long thing. You got to do it from early in the morning till night. It's like eight, nine, ten hours. That's my dad. He knows all about it. Um, so I go, and I'm roasting a little marshmallow, happy as can be. Um, but there's a little fire on the marshmallow. You know that happens sometimes? So I'm a really smart guy. So I'm like, I got to get that fire out. We got to go. And you're like, oh, we got to go. We got to get to the communion. So I start doing this with my marshmallow stick. <laughs> and just got to get that fire out with a little flaming torch on top. <laughs> then I give a real good one. All of a sudden, all you see is me looking like a little, like, uh, Italian mobster doing fr uh, circles in my backyard with a flaming marshmallow on my head. <laughs> in a cell, like, wow! <laughs> my dad's trying to chase me. No, stop moving! Let me tell you, those communion pictures were really interesting looking. <laughs> like, is that a weird birthmark you have on your head? Yeah, it's a fresh birthmark. I got it this morning. <laughs> Thanks to Jet Puff. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's got fire stories. Now, the scene in this uh, Mount Carmel, there will not be flaming marshmallows dropping from the sky, nor will there be stupid eight-year-olds who try to pull out their marshmallow by shaking it towards their foreheads. Uh, but it, it's going to be epic. It's going to be incredible. So let's just get right back into it. Oh, so this is good. So in verse, uh, going into verse 27, same thing of 1 Kings, this is what Elijah starts saying. So the prophets of Baal, they start doing this weird worship dance. They start like trying to usher in their God because nothing's happening. They lay out the rules of like how the fire is going to be brought down. They have the sacrifice there, uh, an animal sacrifice, um, and on each side. And pretty much Elijah says, whichever one fire comes down on first, your God wins. Simple, right? So all these prophets of Baal, they start doing their worship dances, acting all weird. Ooh, like I, I will not reenact that dance because I want to be up here again, so that will be a sure sign I never will be. But it, nothing's happening because it's a false god. So they're calling upon this false god, calling upon this false god, uh, false god, and there's no fire, there's no nothing. So this is what our boy Elijah says. Um, At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Your boy starts talking trash. <laughs> so I'm saying, yo, your guy's uh, a little late, son. I don't know, man. Uh, maybe he's sleeping. He took a little siesta, maybe. I don't know. Um, 
I didn't know if I should share this, but I'm going to. Um, so the actual translation toward the end, when it talks about maybe he might be sleeping, what Elijah actually says, I'm not making this up, guys. I'm not. You can check it. Do the Hebrew roots. He's saying maybe your God is taking a poop. <laughs> I'm not making I'm not trying to be crass. That is literally, this dude Elijah's on one right now. He's like, yeah, maybe your God is in the restroom over there. Maybe that's, uh, my God don't need a restroom, but if your God does, no judgment here. Elijah is like next level. They used to talk about Michael Jordan being a great, a great trash talker. I never think Michael Jordan whispered in one of his opposing players' ear, maybe your God is taking a poop. Like, what? <laughs> what? This is the Bible. I'm not making this up. I promise I'm not. Um, so nothing happens. Nothing happens. The, the false God of Baal, he proves false. And Elijah is clearly enjoying it. So then Elijah gets ready because it's his turn now. And he said, all right, watch what my God does. Watch what happens. You can dance all night. It gets so intense, actually, that the false prophets of Baal, they start, uh, and within their worship, they start cutting themselves. That's how lost these people are. That's a form of worship to their God. And, Baal, uh, and uh, Elijah's watching this, and then he's ready. Um, and we'll jump forward to uh, verse 36. Um, At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And guess what happens? Fire comes down. Elijah, to even put more emphasis on it, actually puts water around the sacrifice. And the fire comes down so hot it licks up all the fi- uh, water. Uh, fire comes down so hot it licks up all the water, burns the sacrifice. And they are stunned, the false prophets of Baal. They are stunned because they're like, whoa, we just spent eight hours doing the electric slide and nothing happened. <laughs> and this dude says one prayer. And God's just like, all right, dope, fire. Uh. Why is that? Because false gods promise what only a real God can deliver. Only a real God, right? Um, There's been so many times in my life where, like, I doubt God, if I'm being honest, right, guys? And he's never let me down. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. Even when I didn't think he was there, he was there. And oh man, when I had the blessing to realize he was there, that I know he was there. We often look to these things and they don't give us any peace. We often look to these things that promise us joy. They don't give us joy. But Jesus does. Jesus never, ever doesn't follow through on his promise. God never, ever has said a thing that has not happened or did not happen or will not happen. And you might be in a place in your life right now where maybe there's something you're waiting on God for. And it's been a long time. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. It's coming. Uh, often the blessings that we're praying for and we want them right now, we're just not prepared to even handle. And in the right time, in God's perfect timing, when we're, they finally come, oh, the best. Um, so now, battle's won. That's it, Right? And this is how it finishes out. And this is what Elijah says to all the false prophets. I'm sure there was other people there watching this. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I want to wake up every day. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's beautiful. That's good. 
This is just one story, and we're going to go through more of Elijah, but this one story here, to me, spoke to me in so many ways. And if that can be my prayer every morning, I'm straight. I'm good. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And often in times, like, what's a Lord? A Lord is someone who lords above you. A Lord is someone who either has power or control in your life. God is God. <laughs> he is the only one in your life. And that includes uh, your significant other, a spouse, a mother, father, family. Lord, God, Lord Jesus is the only one who deserves first and the most important rights to being able to tell you what your life should be, what you should make of your life, who you are, who you're going to be. That's it. I tell this often to my kids is that like a million lies from this world gets destroyed by one truth from God's lips. A million lies. It doesn't matter what people say of you. It doesn't matter what your own mind tells of you. If it's a lie, it's a lie no matter how many times it's told. But one truth from God's mouth overpowers all of that. And I think oftentimes it's not that we're trying to worship other things. It's really not. No one's waking up every money, uh, morning and, like, putting money on an altar and saying, oh, thank you, Benjamin Franklin. Like, no one's, no one's saying that. But it's just the idea of what do you worship and what's inside of you. What is the thing that drives you most? What is the thing that's most important to you? Um, one of my favorite, favorite writers, uh, C.S. Lewis, has a great quote. C.S. Lewis, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, he was pretty much uh, in charge of, in England, in the 1950s, of introducing Christianity to, like, millions of people. Uh, he's one of the really great contemporary theologians. Look him up. He's got great stuff. Narnia alone. Narnia is awesome. If you've never read the Narnia books or, or seen the movies, some of the movies, um, they're really good. But C.S. Lewis says this. In God, you come against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you're proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Amen. Right? So good. Isn't that so good? And that's just the way we live sometimes. Um, we serve a God who is so mighty, and we serve a God who is so selfless. And oftentimes, and then we don't even know we're doing it because it's almost like the world programs us. We're putting all of our desires before him. Um, for many years, the God I served was love and affection from others. I really, really wanted to, uh, I didn't want to be alone. And uh, throughout my teens and my early 20s, I wrestled with that. And what happened when you're just willing to throw everything to the side, including God, and just seek out a life where you're loved and get affection, that's not love, I shouldn't even use the word love, but you get affection from people and get attention, that leads you down dangerous paths. Because it doesn't matter who's giving you that affection, you'll take it from anybody. And what happened was I was in a really tremendously unhealthy relationship uh, for almost half a decade. Um, and I don't even put it at fault to the person because she was broken like I was broken. And all I wanted was love and affection. All I wanted was her to be the most important thing to her. So we would go on and off for years. We'd break up, get back together. My poor mother, the prayer she must have said because she wanted so much better for me. And I wouldn't get it because God wasn't the most important thing to me. Being loved was, having attention was, having affection was. And because of that fact, I was able to sell myself so short that I was in a toxic, unhealthy relationship for years. That was my God. 
Maybe your God is money. Maybe it is. Um, if that's the truth, listen to me. It don't take much to change that. God does not hate money. He doesn't. God, money, I see, I'm a part of a church that's, well, I think one of the most giving churches on Long Island, if not New York. You guys are incredible. Um, money is an a, a instrument, a thing we live with, and it's a tool that can bless others tremendously. But if money is the most important thing to you, guess what you ain't going to be sharing? <laughs> guess when you see someone on the side of the road who needs 15 bucks, guess what you ain't giving? Guess when you're in church on Sundays and there's a good ministry to donate to or you can uh, adopt a kid from the DR, guess what you're not doing? Because that is the most important thing. But let me tell you what it takes for money, that false god of money to get knocked down. One doctor's visit. That's all it takes. One doctor's visit that didn't go the way you wanted it to. And you heard some news you didn't want to hear. And all the money in the world won't be able to change it. Don't worship money. Go Come back to your looks. Maybe it's the way you look. Um, and we're all insecure about that. Everyone likes to look good. There's nothing wrong with that. But like, as I am quickly learning at almost 32 years of old, there's an expiration date on all this. This, uh, this, I like to say it's like a fine wine, but it's more like a cheap beer. Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's getting a little stank. Um, our bodies, they get older, get a little broken down, get a little beat down. So I can try to do everything I can. I can spend three hours pumping iron in the gym. I can try to, you know, get hair plugs and do all of that. And guess what? My body's still going to fade away. My beauty's still going to fade away because it's what inside matters most. So you better not worship that, right? Um, the toughest one for me is maybe it's family, right? And again, let me say family is everything. God created family the way it's supposed to be. It's beautiful. But the most important thing, if I'm really going to love my daughter the right way, if I'm really going to love my wife the right way, if I'm going to love my beautiful family the right way, i got to learn it from God. And if I'm putting them ahead of God, I ain't learning from God. You, God is the source of all love. So if I'm not worshiping him in the rightful place, then guess what? That's how broken families happen. That's how Domingo starts popping off and saying things he shouldn't say and hurtful remarks. Starts being a father that is more afraid of my daughter leaving me and not wanting to just love her and build her up. But instead I'm just fearful because all of it, all that I have is in her. And again, we all do this. When that little girl, don't even get me started. I don't want to think about her wedding day. I'll start crying right now. <laughs> I know it goes quick, right, though? It's going to be here quick. God gave me that baby girl. I worship him for that. God gave me my beautiful wife. I worship him for that. God gave me my incredible parents. I worship him for that. And when that, that's the proper way, right? Not like, God, I love my family. <laughs> Later. So oftentimes in this life, things just get a little out of whack. And for me, the God that I kept getting reminded of uh, was my selfish self. <laughs> it's just that simple. I would often be reminded, and I, this kept t coming into my head and, and challenging me, where it was just like, serve God, not your selfish self. Because it all starts with us, right? Remember, you were created. We were created in the image of God. That's powerful. That means something. We have the ability to worship. We have the ability to do great things. But when my emotions, when what I want in this world is the most important thing, it's not going to bring happiness. It's not going to bring peace. It's not going to bring anything good. It might feel good temporarily. It might feel like, okay, you know, a little bit of money at first. You can spend in places. That feels great, right? Uh, you know, I like McDonald's cheeseburgers, man. One of them, one or two is really good. 
but four, not so much. That's not, maybe, maybe we just need to look at not the false god. It's not Elijah and Baal. I don't think I have, again, I don't have to preach against anyone worshiping a fire god. But what I have to preach for and hopefully uh, lift you up in and lift myself up in is this. We don't have to serve ourselves. We have a mighty God, a great God. And this God just wants to put things in proper perspective. That's it. This is not a message of condemnation. This is not a message that you should feel bad about. I hope it challenges you in the same way it challenges me. Because again, what God? God do we serve? And I know, I know so many of you here, and I, I, you guys, I know so many people who just inspire me in ways you guys have no idea. And I'm, I'm surrounded by some of the most authentic, real worshipers of God I'll ever meet in my life. I just think sometimes we just need a readjustment, right? Sometimes we just need to recalibrate and step back and say, wait, what is the most important thing to me right now? What is the most important thing? Um, I want to speak specifically to maybe someone who hasn't, like, chosen to, like, go on this journey with Jesus yet. And that's totally cool. I'm so blessed you're here. Um, so this might be a little different, the message for you. But I'll just say this. December 22nd, uh, 2007 was the day I like, came to God and said, I take my life. I want you to take my life and I want you to mold it. And it's been a bumpy, incredible, beautiful, messy journey since then. It's taken me halfway across the world. I got to love on orphans in China. Ask my mom how hard it is to get me out of bed. <laughs> like, like, that's God, man, to get me halfway across the world. And then it brought me back to all you. And I think about when I first came to God, it was hard because there was a lot of stuff that I like doing and a lot of stuff that I like treating myself as God first, that this message of, no, God's like, no, Domingo, I don't want part of your heart. I want it all. No, nah, Domingo, that soul that you even had that I knitted and created, that's mine. I want it back. And at first, it might sound a little difficult, might sound a little challenging, but it's beautiful. Because when I understood the God of the Bible was also Father God, and that it wasn't in a way of like a dictator saying, give me all that, that's mine, give it to me back. No, no, no. It is a God, a Father saying, come back to me. Let me love you. Let me show you who you really are. Let me show you the best way to live this life. And in that, you will experience more joy and peace than you could ever think with those other false gods. Y'all hear me? Yeah? Um, so, um, often, really often, um, I know life is really hard. <laughs> and I know some people might be having a really hard life. And the band, you guys can come up now, band. The band wants to begin. Um, keep going. <laughs> You're here on a Sunday, which we're blessed by. But I just really want to encourage you, if you never, ever came to an understanding of who Jesus is, don't wait. Don't wait. He's been waiting for you, but don't wait. I know there might be some ideas of Christianity that people might have spewed at you, this hateful version of who God really is. That ain't God. That ain't God. And hearing this fantastical story about Elijah that was true, it's not meant to be this thing that challenges you in a negative way, but it's meant to say, listen, that is the kind of God we worship. A kind of God that we can pray to and he won't leave us short. A kind of God who is also a father that just wants us back. <laughs> wants us to come home. The prodigal, uh, the prodigal son story isn't just a story. That is the personification of who God is to us. And God doesn't wait when he sees us in the distance for us to run back into his arms after we spent all his inheritance and wasted away our lives. But remember the father and the prodigal son. What does he do? 
Does he wait for the son? No. He runs into his arms. He runs back. So I hope um, this challenges you the way it challenges me. And again, it's not so much about losing everything, becoming a monk and running off in a monastery. It's more about a proper adjustment. So for those who have been Christians, maybe you need to go home and just kind of think about, God, have you been the first most important thing to me? Have you been the thing I wake up and thank every morning? That when I get a raise at my job, praise God, that's beautiful. When I have my child, thank you, Jesus, you blessed me with this. When I spend time with my loved ones, thank you, God, because you are love, the Bible says. So this love that's even happening comes from you. It's all about readjustment, guys. It's not about this terrible, miserable, oh, woe is me, I have to give up. No. Because let me tell you, anything that you give up to God, he's going to give you something so much better and so much more fulfilling. So if you guys would stand, please. Um, let's close in prayer, and that will lead us in worship.